Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by our tactics guy and my spot kick specialist, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> nice one, mate. Hey, mate. How's it going? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good, all things considered. <laughs> uh, bearing in mind the FA Cup exit last night, I'm doing okay. Uh, we've just been talking briefly there about how toxic things got on social media uh, very soon after the end of the Norwich game. In fact, during the Norwich game, I would say. Um I mean, we need to talk about Wolves as well, because we've not covered that one. And in many ways, they were quite similar. Uh, so you tweeted post-Wolves that the process is more important than, than the result. And the loss in this match against Wolves was better than the win in the previous match against Wolves. Do you stand by that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I just I just thought that that made like an interesting parallel because I um, the Wolves game was a, was a turning point. The, the, the first Wolves game, the win was a big turning point for me because I started to say, look, there are some serious problems with the way that we're playing. And people got really upset with me because they said, well, we won. And now yeah. it's the exact opposite is that I'm saying mm. there were some good signs in that game and then people are upset with me because, um, you know, they want to vent their anger. I feel exactly the same as you about that. And I got a lot of criticism after the Man City game where I said that, that was a pretty much a horror show and obviously a wonderful result, but we yeah. did not play at all well in that game. And I found it quite an uncomfortable watch in some respects. The opposite for me in the Wolves game. Like I thought we put together some really good moves. Uh, there was signs of some, I would say, positional play and a new possession model being formed. And yet we made disastrous individual defensive errors, which led to us conceding goals that we really shouldn't be conceding. Um, it was an interesting lineup, wasn't it? Because we played a back three and Eric Dyer came into the back line for the first time in a long, long time with Alderweireld on the bench. What did you make of that, firstly? Uh, I thought that Mourinho could have got away with saying that it was a fitness concern or an injury issue or whatever if he'd played him in the next game against Norwich. Mm. But now we have to mm. say, oh, okay, that's a tactical decision that he's made for some reason. Uh, and I guess the idea is that, okay, he wanted to play a high line and so he needed reasonably fast centre-backs, which Alderweireld no longer is. And therefore he wanted to play Tanganga and, and Davinson Sanchez as the wide centre-backs. Um... But, like, is Dyer faster than Alderweireld? I don't know, maybe. Absolutely not. Uh, I don't think he... Maybe in a straight line, but probably not in a turning circle, I guess. Mm. And mm. then but he, he wanted the central centre-back to step up and, and, and play um, and sort of move into midfield occasionally. So, we, to be absolutely fair, we did see Dyer step forward in a defensive role a few times, which I guess would mm-hmm. be outside of Alderweireld's wheelhouse. Um, I don't know. I guess, like... It, it made sense in that we did play high up the pitch for periods of the game. We were able to play decent football and press decently well in those moments. Um, but the cost of that is that we have three not great centre-backs and they make defensive mistakes at the back. Yes, and that was plain to see. I mean... All of them, none of none of them got away from this game without having made a mistake, basically. Uh, Tanganga's had some, I would say, slightly harsh criticism for his involvement, particularly in the, the first Wolves goal where he was responsible for failing to clear the ball. I, 
I still argue that given that he was expecting Dyer to clear it at the near post and given that it took a nick on the way through, it wasn't an easy one for Tanganga to clear. He should have cleared it, sure, but it wasn't as easy as it looked. Uh, but he wasn't great, and I'm not going to pretend he was great. And Dyer had a particularly poor game, I thought. Uh, so we, we ended up conceding three goals, which is hugely disappointing, obviously. There's one particular piece of play that seems to have uh, gone a little viral on Twitter, which is once Tongi and Dombele came in, came on and Pedro Neto came on. And Neto does this kind of run out from the wide right touchline to come inside. And in doing so, he beats Harry Winks twice. And Tongi and Dombele is kind of jogging back. And people were sort of saying, this is our new signing, not even caring about getting back into position. What was your take on that, Nathan? <laughs> well, again, I, I tweeted about this and I said, look, um, I, it's not anywhere near as bad as it, as it seems. Uh, a lot of the time that there's like a, a Spurs player nearer to the ball who is uh, actively engaging NATO, which means that there's at least a strong case to be made that Ndombele is right to sort of act as the second player to, to, to defend passes inside and, and just sort of occupy um, space. And that's not to say that he was perfect. So there wasn't moments where he could have nipped in or, you know, simply appeared more active. But I don't think it was that mm. bad. Um, and again, a lot of people were really upset with me for that one. Um, mm. But the people who weren't upset with me are coaches and analysts who said yeah you know there's there's definitely it's definitely not as bad as it looks do you think also and this was my take that there's an there's a bit of an issue with calling out a player in terms of his intensity when we've got no idea of his current physical state we've got no idea of his physiology and we've got no idea of what his instructions were on the pitch so i'm thinking we we know that Tongui and Dombele is not fit enough to start games that yeah if, if he were fit enough to start games he would be starting games we need him right now he's not so he's not uh, there's a, every possibility that he was brought on to try and turn the game in our favor and that Mourinho said to him conserve your energy for those few like bursts forward that you can muster in the last 15 minutes so maybe he's just like hovering in the hope that someone can win a tackle the ball comes to him and then he can burst forward so he's not going to waste the energy running back if he's barely got any energy in the first place I don't know maybe maybe I'm giving him a free pass unfairly but I, ju I just feel like there's too many assumptions being made uh, around Ndombele's fitness generally what do you think the, of that? No I, I think that's exactly right I think that we we have to make assumptions and those assumptions are look we have this player who's not had a, like a formal injury for several weeks and he's still horrifically unfit that doesn't come as a result of like you know <laughs> laziness or whatever that doesn't happen at no. elite level football and that certainly doesn't happen under Mourinho so what we obviously have here is a player who is operating through some kind of soft injury while he tries to um, do mm. the necessary physio mm. or uh, you know work out what the problem is or wait for things to heal and he has you know 15 20 minutes of football in him in a week but it's not going to be um, high energy football and it's not going to be the kind of football that involves throwing his body into robust challenges and the, and the like obviously we don't know the exact medical situation going on here but this is not a player who is you know fit yeah right and what we do know is that Mourinho said in press conferences that they've got a specialist training regime for Ndombele to try and get him as fit as possible <laughs> as soon as possible. There you go. So th this is 
This is fact. We know that is happening. Uh, what Mourinho didn't help with was at the start where, I mean, in some ways he was arguably calling out Ndombele's fitness, but that could also have been read as a bit of a jibe at the way Pochettino was managing his, his squad's fitness, fatigue and injuries more generally. So I don't think it's helped in Ndombele's individual case because there are people willing to kind of get on his back. Uh, and, and the transfer fee doesn't help with that either because the expectation is so high. I mean, the, the, the thing about Ndombele, you would say, is he always makes an impact when he comes on the pitch. He's really, really good, really good. And he nearly always makes a positive impact. So we've just got to hope that he can ride this awful run of fitness for him and use this as a kind of settling in season and come back strong next year and be the player we all hope he can be. Uh, so I presume then you, know, you, you weren't too disheartened by the Wolves game. I wasn't too disheartened. Wolves are a really good team. And kind of going into Norwich game, you probably like me were thinking, well, we've stumbled upon something here. We've we've got potentially some, some green shoots in a way of playing. And you were feeling pretty hopeful, I imagine. <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah. And then the game happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, and again, like I don't think this was a horrible game for Spurs by any stretch. I think there's a lot of bad luck. But... There's plenty of talking points. So, firstly, the team selection. Uh, Michelle Vaughan was starting in goal, and that was uh, <laughs> that was a shock to me. Were you surprised yeah. to see him brought back in? Yeah, I was. I, was. I mean, he, like he, he he wasn't good the first time. <laughs> we brought him in. Like, I, I always liked Vaughan more than most people, but that's beside the point. We brought Vaughan in because Larice had his dislocated elbow and then didn't use him at all, and now Larice has dropped out for a couple of weeks with a groin injury, and we're resorting to Vaughan. It's just it's the whole. Thing thing is so bizarre <laughs> but you know <laughs> whatever it, he's definitely not as bad as the perception of him appears but um I, it, it's weird and i guess the defense is that if you're not playing regularly then errors happen because you're not kind of used to the concentration levels that's required well, this is always a thing with vorm is that he played the cup games and looks like he'd forgotten how to play football while he wasn't playing mm. football like and, and there are some players and there are some keepers who can play three games a season and be at their best of those three games and then there are some players who need to be playing regular football and, and and you often can't tell that if you're signing them from a club where they're playing regular football. Mm, mm, that is true. Uh, the other player that kind of came in from the cold was Oliver Skip. He came into midfield and I think did pretty well, but that was a real surprise to see him play. Uh, I believe that was his second appearance of the season. Am I right in saying that? It, it can't be many more than that, certainly. Uh, so that was a shock. Uh, and then Troy Parrott is on the bench again. This game was very odd, I thought. We we started off okay, didn't we? I think we started off really well. Yeah. And we were, we were playing in a 4-2-3-1 shape, so there's another change of shape, which was, I guess, a slight surprise after the Wolves match. But we looked okay, I thought. We looked pretty good. We had Lo Celso looking very lively, Winks and Skip providing a solid platform, and I was feeling confident about our chances. And then Norwich sort of started putting together some patterns of possession, with Vrancic often at the heart of that. But they didn't create an awful lot, did they? Uh, no, no, I think I think they were getting there. I, I, like it was only a matter of time. They weren't like you know getting into the box again and again and again, but they were getting into the final third and threatening. So it was only going to be a matter of time. I um, I mean, essentially, what we've seen in both these games is that we've started the game strongly, scored, and then taken our foot off the gas. And I don't mean like unconsciously, like stopped caring. I mean we've actively decided, okay, now we're going to switch to our alternate means of play, which is to play in a medium block and conserve our energy. And what, yeah, again, what we've seen in these two games are patches of good football 
Um, but essentially, we have only played football when we've needed to, like absolutely needed to. And um, maybe that is just the way that Mourinho has his teams play. There's certainly a sort of something of a trend there. But probably what we're seeing is just a general fitness issue throughout the squad where Mourinho says these players can't play this way for more than half an hour a game, especially with so many games in in, in um one after the other in a short period of time so we yeah we only have the energy to play when we need to and we've sort of seen this all season with Mourinho where we've laid it on heavy at the end of games we bring Ndombele off the bench and we play Mm -hmm. hard for 30 minutes we're starting to see us play hard at the beginning of games as well which (laughs) you could say is an improvement but it doesn't seem like one because of the results but I think this is um this is not a kind of simply a Jose Mourinho tactic that no no one else does. No, for uses. sure. This is obviously all teams sort of lean this way, but we're seeing an, a real extreme with it. I think I, I would argue that we saw Wolves do exactly the same thing and beat us at the weekend. Sure, I mean, they 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 similarly to us, they're playing a lot of games because they're in Europe. They're having to um, manage their own situation very carefully, so they played in bursts like Spurs did against Norwich. The difference is that where Wolves have have now really quite a, a, a deep squad in term, particularly in terms of their t- attacking players mm. we have two absolutely vital pieces of our squad out injured plus Lloris for this one plus Sissoko who although I'm not a huge fan of would certainly have been playing some minutes so we're we've got an even more difficult task in front of us because players are having to play and you see the way that Lucas and Steven Bergvine and Delhi looked last night. They they're just dead. They they're completely fatigued. I think not only are they physically drained, they're mentally drained. I mean, Burvine's played it seems Basically, pretty much yeah. every minute yeah. since he joined, and he's a young player in a new league. That is far from ideal, but we've we've had very little choice. Um, and and so that is why I think Spurs look so sluggish. Um, going forward at times. Having said that, there was some slick play through our midfield. I thought Lo Celso was really really good. Um, and I didn't think it was awful. So obviously we got the goal through Jan Bertongen, really great header, good delivery from the Celso. Kind of looking like all is well in the world. Vaughan makes that horrible error, but around that, there were other opportunities for Spurs. Uh, the the big one was the one where Lucas was, he, he did really well on the edge of the box to win the ball back. He's one-on-one with the goalkeeper. Delhi is to his left, and if he'd seen him, he could have pulled it back for Delhi to tap in, but he went for goal. That was a really big chance, and then Aurier also had one, which it, it kind of looks like an open goal at the time, but it's not because you've got a goalkeeper and a player there uh, covering one side of the goal, but he, you'd hope that he would score that sort of at least 50 percent of the time do you think on another day that we win this two or three nil but unconvincingly it flatters us a little bit and then we just move on uh i don't think the chance we put up with that like obviously there was the potential for for lucas to be aware of delhi i don't think we like we were battering them um i i hear what you're saying um and like of course there are like contexts in which this could have gone our way um but i also i think you have to say if you have to accept that like if your game plan involves allowing norwich to play their football for 60 minutes of a game that there are likely going to be consequences to that because norwich if you give them the time on the ball they're they're really quite good with it Mm, they're pretty dangerous uh so we brought on jedson who has 
an interesting game, I would say. Uh, so he attempted seven dribbles in the 77 minutes that he ended up being on the pitch. He was very, very willing to take on his man at every opportunity, which I found highly encouraging. The final ball was not always there. Uh, the final shot certainly wasn't there. Um, but what did you make of Jedson's uh, performance in this game, Nate? Uh, he was fine. Like, I... Um... He is just not of the same creative quality of our other game. Like when we're pushing at the end of the game and he's playing on the left wing and we're sort of overloading the box and Lo Celso's there waiting for the ball, but he has to get the man off him first. So he plays it to Jedson and you're like, okay, Jedson, now play it back to Lo Celso so Lo Celso can yeah. put this cross yeah. in. And every time Jedson would take his man on and, and sometimes he'd beat his man but he would do so in the way that he immediately overruns the ball into the next player. And I would much rather he just played it safe and just helped sort of Lacelso get into the right position or get let Lamella get into the right position. Um, and he, he tried to sort of be a difference maker. And, and I get that, like, he has to, he wants to try and prove himself. Um, but I just, like, <laughs> he's never going to be that kind of player. Mm. I don't, or he's almost definitely <laughs> never going to be that player. So um, uh, I, I was slightly I, I, frustrated by him. I, I think I'm um, more willing to be charitable because he was taking some responsibility, which I, I admired in any young player sure. who's new, new to this level. I, I thought the fact that he's willing and he was demanding the ball and trying to beat his man and create something and I kind of admired him for that even though things didn't always go his way in fact very rarely went his way um but we certainly had the momentum going into extra time and Norwich had three or four players who could barely move and I just thought we'll get this done it's not a problem it's fine we'll probably score a couple in extra time is that how you felt or was I just being overly optimistic uh you've been slightly optimistic but not unreasonable hmm what actually happened was we essentially stopped creating and that coincided when Troy Parrott came on. I'm not saying that is uh, directly <sighs> Oh, wow. Related, harsh, but... harsh criticism. Parrott cancelled by Windy. The youth expert <laughs> says Troy Parrott's no good. Uh, that is absolutely not what I believe. But, <laughs> uh, I mean, he barely got the ball, did he? We didn't no, sort he of aim involved. anything his, his way. We didn't get anything to his feet. He was just left chasing shadows, really. Yeah. Uh, so extra time didn't go the way that I'd heard. Penalties then, and we've seen enough Spurs penalty shootouts to not feel optimistic. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't feel optimistic ahead of any of our penalties. We we buried a couple, and then you've got... Oh, God, I, mean, I can't even bring myself to go through them, but Jetson's penalty was an absolute horror show. I mean, he just passed it back to Tim yeah. Krull, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> and what did you think of Krull's technique? So he's obviously... He's gone in for sort of psychological warfare. He's he's doing all the gamesmanship he can do. He's talking to the players. He's tapping his boots against the goalpost. He's delaying as much as he possibly can. And then he's coming off his line a couple of yards. I mean, do you, should the referee have made us retake those penalties or do we just accept that in these situations, goalkeepers sometimes get a bit of leeway? Uh, I mean, definitely, like, there has to be an allowance of gamesmanship. I don't, like, that's whatever. I'm not going to hold that against Tim Krull. But specifically with penalty shootouts, I think that... Um, the referee dictates the timing and if the keeper is not if the keeper is drinking his water over by the side like we don't owe it to him to wait the timing should be decided by the by the referee and the referee shouldn't be waiting around either um so the the, the problem is not tim crawl's gamesmanship the, te- the the problem is the sort of the rule basis although it's not written word but the approach that is taken by referees to allowing goalkeepers to to piss about for five minutes between each penalty mm. 
So we lose the penalty shootout to Norwich, and it's it feels pretty horrific. But the night doesn't end there. What happens next is Norwich's players are over-celebrating with their fans in the corner, and suddenly on Twitter, reports are coming in of Eric Dyer running into the crowd. So we don't know at this point exactly what happened, but we know that Eric Dyer uh, ran towards someone, looking for someone, who happened to be near his brother in the friends and family part of section of the, of the stadium. Uh-huh. Uh, there are rumours that uh, there was some sort of racist abuse shouted towards Jetson. I mean, that that's possible. That is just someone on Twitter saying they heard that. Um, but it certainly seems like there was some abuse and that Eric Dyer's brother was involved. Um, what are your kind of initial thoughts on the incident, Nate? <laughs> My initial thought is that it's hilarious. Is that, yeah. <laughs> like, it just is. I mean, Eric, like, climbing up the stairs, which is such, like, a like an athletically challenging thing to do after <laughs> 120 minutes of football. <laughs> Uh, to have it out with the fact that I don't, I what I tweeted at the time was that like he's he's in the right. Like I don't know what the details are, um, but like uh, firstly, I can't imagine him doing all of that for some for like for just some sort of football based criticism because he hears a hundred of that every day, as does every footballer. Is you're not going to suddenly be set off. Um, but I I'm also uh, on moral grounds because it's funny because it's fucking hilarious. I guess what it comes down to is that like the the perception that fans can do and say whatever they want, but because they are the customer, the customer is always right, and players who we have to remember are human beings, despite how well paid they are, should just have to put up with whatever kind of circumstances they're put through because they're put through it by fans. And I just think that's bullshit. I just think if someone is being nasty to your brother, if pushing your brother around in the stands or being racist to a player of yours or whatever it may turn out to be, you shouldn't just have to take it on on the basis that you're being professional. So um, I'm I'm simply just amused. I'm so glad you said that. I, I feel like um, there is this sort of f- football. It's such it's such a kind of toxic uh, environment at times when things aren't going well. People behave in a way that is just completely unacceptable in any other context, and they do that because it's become accepted as part of the context of football and and what it's what it's like to be a football fan and supportership. And this is just what it, what it's like when a group of lads get together and it's uh, people supporting the team, and then we all come out of the stage and then we behave normally again but actually you're right to point out that these aren't robots on the pitch these aren't these aren't like characters in a tv show these aren't you know professional wrestlers who are pretending to be the goodies and the baddies these are vulnerable human beings just as much as any other person is. and just because they earn a certain amount of money doesn't stop them being a vulnerable human being or a someone who actually has their own unique personality and the set of characteristics which got them to this place and part of me found it really refreshing actually that Dyer was just himself in that moment it felt real and it felt raw and it felt emotive and it was a reminder that he is before a Tottenham Hotspur footballer he is Eric Dyer the human being and if someone was going to mug off his brother then he's going to go and give him a clump <laughs> you know and yeah, I'm man. not saying that is the right reaction it's absolutely not the right reaction and as a as a professional paid member of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club then he shouldn't be doing that and I'm sure the FA will charge him with bringing the yeah, game into disrepute but let me tell you that I fully believe that the person in the wrong in this situation was the fan who did something to Eric Dyer's 
his brother or shouted something inappropriate to one of his teammates. Um, Of course, neither action is what you want, but Dyer's was at least a reaction and a human emotional reaction at that. Um, And I thought Mourinho handled that in the press conference really delicately and really astutely. And Mourinho is not perfect in any in any way. But I really liked the way he um, he kind of glossed over that and said, if the club decide to to charge Eric Dyer or fine him, then he won't agree. Uh, I like that a lot. Um, is there anything more to say about that situation? What do you, I mean? What do you think is going to happen? What do you think the FA will do? Yeah, no uh, disrepute, and then like a, a single match ban, probably, and a fine. Um, I know. I, I guess I, it depends on what kind of details come out. Uh, which, again, I don't think it really should. I don't think it matters. But there you go. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's the change of pace, Claxon, which means some questions from you lot. Uh, right, what have we got here? Brian Schaefner says, what colour hair does Parrot have? Is it long or short? Which I very much enjoyed. So we've <coughs> seen a bit of Troy Parrot now. Uh, Mourinho's point about, you know, people calling for Parrot don't even know what he looks like was probably a really valid one. Um, but at this point, and particularly in light of the fact that Lucas and possibly Bergwijn have picked up fatigue-related injuries, we might see a bit more of Parrot. Um, how do you feel about that, Nathan? Uh, he has short, <laughs> sort of medium <laughs> brown hair. Uh, yeah, no, obviously a lot of the people who are calling for Troy Parrott haven't seen Troy Parrott play very much, but like, <laughs> I have. I've watched him play for Ireland. I even made a fucking cut up of his game to post on Twitter <laughs> and all that kind of he stuff. Did. I've he watched did. him and he's good. My psychic and best friend Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. How are you doing, mate? You're joining us now. I'm a bit wet, a bit cold, but I made it. Arriving late into the box, unmarked. I was going to say, like Jan Vertonghen at the back post. Bosh. Nice. <laughs> Bardi, we've just been talking about the Eric Dyer incident. Mm. Uh, interested to get your thoughts. You were there last night. Yeah, so um, as I was leaving the south stand, we saw something happening um, across the way, and we just thought it was, you know, regular kind of fisticuffs after a bad result. But then I, I, I met up with my friend Yago and he actually sat in the West Stand and he just couldn't believe it. He had that look on his face that he'd seen the most incredible thing. And it was him that kind of broke it to me first about what had happened. And he said that um, Dyer was kind of walking over and he just kept looking towards the, the stand, towards the kind of back rows. And um, that was where the family sit. Because remember famously when Lucas, when he was good, scored that hat-trick against um, Huddersfield and his wife... <coughs> Lucas down. was never good. 
<laughs> well, when he had his, his hat-trick moment, one of his hat-trick moments, um, that was where his wife and his kid were sitting. So um, he thought that Dyer was just kind of looking for a friend, but then he said he kind of arrowed in and Bedlam broke out. He said he'd never seen anything quite like it. And I, you can imagine it must have been like that Cantona moment where you, um, you know, you're at a football stadium, but still sometimes it's almost like you're watching on television that the players, there's a clear barrier, even though there's no longer a fence between you and them. And he says like uh, Dyer like kind of broke the, the fourth wall and just came into the crowd <laughs> and just came lumbering like you know like Godzilla crashing through um high high rise buildings <laughs> trying to get there. He said there was children screaming. He was standing up on a chair. He said he felt like um a young lady in a nightclub who was dancing on a chair because he was trying to peek to see what was going on. He he couldn't quite believe it. And even now, when you look at the footage, you're like, wow, what what was that about? It's mad. Uh, we we both had our say already, so we won't linger any further. But um, I thought Dyer actually played quite well against Norwich. And we had a question from Donald Robertson, who says, it hasn't looked good thus far, but could Dyer succeed at centre-back? Uh, and I thought that's where Pochettino thought his best position was anyway. So what we know is that Dyer has almost like requested to become a centre-back now. Um, what do you think, Bardi? Do you think Dyer will just be a centre-back now and that's it? Do you think Mourinho will use him there? Yeah, I think we... I think I've mentioned before how I think Dyer's probably got a great career at a mid-level Premier League team. Um, and I think he's always been destined for a centre-back role, even when he was central midfield. I thought it was kind of a good place for him to learn, but then like Ledley King, whose legs also went underneath him, he did become a, um, a, a good centre-back. And I was I was very um, I was very happy with how he played against Norwich. I thought he looked solid and decent. And um, yeah, I, I don't mind. I, I've kind of grown towards him now. Now we've seen his human side of Dyer. I've kind of grown towards him and I don't mind him. I, don't, I wouldn't mind him sticking around as a, a centre-back option at the club. So the thing is that he has got some genuine leadership qualities. He's mm-hmm. very vocal and we don't have many vocal centre-backs. So that is useful in itself. He's happy to throw himself at the ball. There's plenty of... Or the crowd. Or the crowd, yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is true. Um, the only thing is, he's so he, the way he moves his legs is so slow, and that was particularly uh, prominent against Wolves, where he he just didn't have the athleticism. And maybe that will come with matches, um, but we've been saying that for a long time now. So I think he needs to be used sparingly, if at all. Um, I'm really intrigued to see what happens with Dyer in the summer, whether he moves on or, or sticks around. Um, Ross Jacobs says, why hasn't Oliver Skip been used to fill the gap we have in defensive midfield? Buddy, you were quite impressed with him last night. Yeah, I thought he looked good. He had um, he made some good interceptions. He got a foot in in key areas. He's not your kind of um, archetypal defensive midfielder, but I thought he did enough to definitely um, be in the mix now for starting games as the season goes on. Um, him and Winks, I st- it's it's difficult. I don't know whether you know when you have a partnership and you look at the two and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. There seems to be one consistent part of each partnership that hasn't worked. Whether it's Winks and Sissoko, Winks and Endombele, and perhaps it is Winks that's that's the fault here. Maybe he's not enough of one thing or enough of another thing. But um, I was impressed with Skip, and I I'd like to see a little bit more of him. He definitely um got tired to, as the game went into extra time. You could see him. He was trying to stretch it out and stretch out cramp and keep a bit limber. But yeah, I, I, I was very happy with him. And Mourinho certainly seemed happy with Winks' display as well, which is um, encouraging because if, if this is it now for Winks, if he just plays that game and no others, then there's basically no point in having played him. Uh, what did you make of Skip's performance? Yeah, I uh, I I was fairly impressed. He, I don't think like he sort of. I'm not like he's the solution to our midfield issue sort of thing. Um, but he didn't like stick out in a negative way at all. Um, obviously, like we again, we did 
we did sort of um, concede midfield as a team fairly heavily. Um, but I, I would like to see him get some more minutes. He, he um, yeah, you know, he looks like he's match fit at the least. Yeah. Oh, this is a... which um, I've got a question for you, Wendy. What's all this about sort of behind closed doors friendlies for youth teams and that? Yeah, that was a shocker, wasn't it? Completely unreported until this past week, but it seems as though we've been using behind closed doors friendlies to keep the likes of Troy Parrott fit, which is, I guess that's encouraging that we've been doing that. I don't know why we wouldn't report on them. Like, even just to know they were happening would have been useful. It's, like, uh, it's, it's an odd one. It's weird. It's weird. Because, like, obviously, Skip looked match fit despite not playing any football. Did you think, like, is, he, is this a thing that clubs do? I'm just, I'm. this is completely baffling to me. It's baffling to me as well. I've got no idea, and I've got no idea who would make up the numbers in such matches because the under-23s are playing under-23 matches and the under-18s are playing under-18 matches. So are they just putting an extra load on some of these players? I've, I've really got no clue. Um, what is interesting is that Parrot played the first half of the last under-23 match and essentially mm. won us the game and then was taken off at half-time. So that kind of led me to believe that we were preparing him for some involvement against uh, Norwich. So I, I, th- I thought he would get some game time and it's possible now that he'll get even more if, if we have got more injuries up front. So um, yeah, really interesting that we're, we're, do- we're choosing to do that. And like I said, I just don't know why we wouldn't report on it. It kind of makes sense to let people know that's happening. But there we go. That is Spurs sometimes. They are very secretive as a club. Uh, another question from the Zen Spur. He says, I get we are, why we are bad at attacking. Why are we so bad at defending? I thought Jose would have focused on sorting it out as a starting point. And Buddy, Nathan and I have spoken a bit about the Wolves game, but obviously there was some calamitous defending in that one. Uh, the defending was probably better against Norwich, but why do you think we look so bad in our own third at the moment? I, I think we look bad because some of our defenders are bad. I don't think... Um, Aurier had an OK game, but we've discussed at length about his defensive problems. Um, then then our goalkeeper our goalkeeper doesn't invite any kind of confidence in our team, either by coming for crosses or being able to sweep up behind the back line. We've got Vertonghen at left back, who had a decent game, to be fair, and mm-hmm. he looked mm-hmm. he looked more lively than I've seen him in quite some time. But still, he's he's not he's not a, he's not like a top level left back. So when you play with substandard defenders, you always allow the opportunity for a team to score a goal. And I always felt, even as we were ticking towards the 70th minute, even though they weren't putting us under sustained amount of pressure, unlike what they kind of they cut together a highlight reel, which makes it seem that way, um, I always thought there was a mistake in our defence. And that's basically because our defenders aren't very good and eventually they will give up a chance. And it was Vorm. And Vorm has, has a history of ending our cup runs. And I don't know if you guys <laughs> spoke about this earlier, but... I'm I'm un, I'm unsure. I mean, the difference between Vaughan and Gazaniga is not huge, but I think Gazaniga saves that, or at least gets it away out of danger. Yep, yep, I agree, I agree. And uh, whilst I'm willing to give Mourinho uh, some passes on on various things that have happened this week, mm. the selection of Dyer and leaving Alvarado on the bench against the Wolves, and the selection of Vaughan and leaving Gazaniga on the bench against Norwich, I think you could say are directly responsible for the outcome of those games and you know not every decision is going to get go your way when it comes to team selections but they seem like particularly obviously poor ones uh okay so actual sigh says would a season in the europa league be good for our squad lots more options for fit fringe players like parrot and skip to get the minutes champions league doesn't allow oh what a horrible thought uh nathan what do you think would the europa league ultimately be good for us I hate the Europa League. I just um, I'm sick of it. I don't want to be a Europa League club anymore. I would 
would rather <laughs> like what do we have to finish seventh in order to yeah uh, uh yes it it can and has for us been a useful means of getting young players minutes Kane of course came through um playing consecutive Europa League group stage games but the the negative is that it's such a drain on your squad in terms of time uh, focus in the week which is something that Mourinho has been spoken about last night um and yeah it breaks up your training um I and I think it's a miserable competition to watch for Spurs fans so I would sooner bin it off and simply play our fringe plays in the domestic cups mm-hmm how about you, Bardi? Yeah, I kind of feel the same. Although I'd like to win it. I'd like to win a trophy. And that's, um, I think that's a very gettable trophy. If you look at the teams that are kind of left this year, I think it's something that we could easily win. But yeah, you have to balance it on the, the kind of Sunday, Thursday rotation, whether that works for us. But, um, you know, at the, at the moment, I'd, I'd quite like... I'd, I don't know. I, I want to see as much football. I want to see Tottenham play as many games as football as possible. And I don't want to just play like the possible 38, maybe 45 games in one season. I'd quite like to see us play in Europe and perhaps win the Europa League. I guess the answer to that question almost depends on how positive you feel about our future more generally. Like, if you're assuming that we'll just go back to becoming a Champions League regular season after season again, once we get this horrible season out of the way, then of course the Europa League seems like a terrible idea but if you don't believe that to be the case if you think that perhaps we'll be dropping out of the Champions League for a few seasons then we should probably want to be in the Europa League because like Sai says it gives you a chance to blood some fringe players to redevelop the squad like Bardi says it gives you the opportunity to win a trophy um so I think that completely depends on your perspective and whether you are glass half full or glass half empty yeah, I mean, I don't think the I don't think um, the Europa League had a knock-on effect on Atletico Madrid. They kind of, you know, they were they were in a um, in a division that um, was kind of a closed shop, even though they did win it once. But you know, historically, it's Barcelona and Real Madrid going for the title. It worked for them. Sevilla, it worked for them as well. They won it a few times. Perhaps they didn't kick on, but I th- I don't think it's a problem if we're in it and if we can try and win it. It's always nice to win something, and we haven't won anything for so long. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And our final question in this episode comes from Neil Mepham, who says, following Jose's comments on squad rebuilding this summer, how many players do you think we will be looking to move on? And please name them. Uh, Bardi, let's start with you. Do you think this is going to be a proper overhaul of the squad? And who do you see leaving? We've already, we haven't even mentioned the fact that we've, we've got rid of Wanyama this week. That was a real shot. Uh, I th- I think it's open season on on any of them. I think I think we'll, I think most players will be up for sale, and it'll be a question of if we get any bidders. If we get bidders that that match it, I I think pretty much all of that back four that played last night, apart from Sanchez, will probably be up for sale. I think in midfield, obviously, Lacelso is nailed on to stay next season unless someone comes in with a crazy bid. Winks will stay. The forward line, I don't know what's going to happen with Delhi, but I think Lucas um, is probably for sale. Bergvine is nailed on to stay as well. But everybody else that started last night is probably available for sale. I reckon there's maybe five or six... Uh, six, five or six nailed on players who won't be leaving everybody else uh, they're in the shop window and how about you Nathan do you feel the same way do you think it's easier to name the players likely to stay yeah I'm, I'm sort of leaning that way I don't think that we will um, like I think we'll get to sort of four or five and then say okay that's enough because we need some some uh, continuity um, but I definitely agree that that like half the squad at least is, is, is open to purchase um, including Harry Kane yeah, I think I think I think we'll see a big 
a big name leaves this summer. I just think they'll do that to get some money in. They'll do it to shift it and do a, a sizable kind of change of hierarchy within the, within the squad. I, I think we'll lose a big name and it, maybe one of Delhi, Delhi's son or Kane will be moved on one of those guys. And what do you think about Hugo Lloris? Would he be on your list of players to to stay, or would he be someone you think could be sold, Buddy? Um, I, I think you know that we need it. We need a new goalkeeper, that's for sure. But do we need a goalkeeper as desperate as we need some outfield position, positions? I don't think so. If we start next season with Hugo as um, as our starting goalkeeper, then I'll be very happy with that. But what I would like to see is a young understudy come in underneath him, someone who fits the model of how we want our goalkeeper to be. So replace Gazaniga, replace Vorm. We don't learn anything from Gazaniga or Vorm. That's they're not going to get any better. They're only going to get worse and they're already pretty bad so I'd rather we trusted a, a young goalkeeper to get minutes in the cup games and if we're in the Europa League there as well that's fair that's very fair and Nathan we've spoken a bit in this episode about whether Mourinho has found a way of playing and some fans are saying this is the time to write the season off Mourinho himself has has said that he's now got to decide whether to focus on the Burnley game or on the Leipzig game do you see this the rest of the season as a write-off and if that's the case is there a part of you that's kind of excited to see what Mourinho can do with players that we've not necessarily seen much of, like Ndombele, like Sessegnon, like Parrot even, like Skip? Do you, do you feel like this is an opportunity now to kind of start afresh and, and just try and build something for the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, I think essentially the season has been a write-off since like November, even before that. Um, I, I, I wasn't under the impression that Mourinho was going to come in and like <laughs> change our season. Uh, I, I think he, he kind of did initially and then Kane and Son both got injured. I I think even then it was just about sort of getting through the season without complete calamity. I okay. I mean, it, you know, that, uh, that's a perfectly valid perception to, to sort of be more excited. But I, 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 I think the season was always a write-off, basically, um, that, that we arrived to that situation through the lack of investment in, in, in the squad over the last couple of years. Um, yeah, there's still some positives. I, um, I'm working on a video at the moment um, looking at Mourinho in depth and that has given me a little cause for optimism. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> nice little teaser there, Nath. Looking forward to that. <laughs> Very nice um, teaser. Anything where um, the word optimism and Mourinho <laughs> are put together closely and come out of Nathan's mouth, it's always an interesting, always something interesting mm. coming. Mm. And Bardi, you've, you've missed kind of Nathan and I talking about the general feeling of toxicity, the division that Mourinho seems to have caused amongst Spurs fans. But how are you feeling sort of generally after these two matches? Uh, the, the, the divisions around Mourinho have existed from the moment he, he joined the club and he is that he is a divisive manager. Even if you speak to... Um, I mean, he's going to get his second shout out. He's going to be delighted. But Yago's also a Real Madrid fan for his sins. Well, you know, I don't know why he supports Real Madrid, but he does. Glory Hunter. But, um... He he's also split on on Mourinho, and he brought them some success up against a really good Barcelona team. And he he just has that character. You either love him or you hate him. And he doesn't play the most beautiful kind of art art picture perfect football. So there is that. And 
he has followed a manager of Pochettino who people loved and they loved dearly, not just for the type of football he played, but for the type of man he was. So replacing Pochettino with Mourinho was always going to cause problems, always going to cause fractions. But the people that were supportive of Mourinho said he's a born winner, he's going to win something. But now we're not going to win anything. So that's just become something else for people to bash him with. I think we need to give Mourinho time. I'm fully standing by him until, until at least we get some idea of what players he wants. I'm kind of happy with how he's stripping the club back. Wanyama's gone, Rose, and the rest of it. If in December, if in December, January, it's still the same, then I'll be with everybody else chasing him. But for now, I'm still pro Mourinho, but that's nothing to do with Mourinho, really. It's, it's, it's pro Spurs, and I can't really be anti-Spurs. It's just, it's just not in my nature. And on that note, I think it's a perfect time to end this episode. Hopefully, we've not been too negative because, I mean, there's enough of that out there. You don't need more. So um, let's just hope for the best and, and see what happens. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Barney for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D. Lindner. Do check him out. He's great. great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would be really helpful.